got nothing to lose. I'm all in. Working the ends, don't fall in. We've got nothing to lose. We're all in. The time is ours, and we're changing. Amazed, surprised, transformed with no compromise. This is the Game Changing Podcast, where people deserve to win, where magic moments shape our destiny, and where insights from the world's greatest performers in business, sports, and personal development bring you to the edge and change your game. Please welcome your host, Anissa Acker. When I... When I had that business, the thing that was my advantage was that I was young enough. I was about 23 when I started the business. So I did Money in You 22. Um, six months later, I'd, turned, I'd already turned 23 and we started the business. I started the business for 1100 bucks. And, um, and I was the advantage. I now look back and see the advantage was I was young enough to have no idea what I was doing <laughs> and the complete willingness to do what my mentors and books that I read said to do. So Gerber says, systemize the business so it works without you. I'm like, okay, sounds fantastic. Let's do that. Uh, I didn't have an argument for why it wouldn't work. Whereas when we get older, we often have an argument for why some mm. concept or some idea wouldn't work. Uh, you know, there's a great guy out there at the minute. He's got a book called, his name's Michael McCallowitz. He wrote a book called My uh, Profit First. Uh, and some friends of mine and some clients of mine have implemented Profit First and it's made a huge difference to their lives. But a lot of people that I introduce it to have an argument for why it can't work. And I'm like, no, but it does work. <laughs> These things work if you're willing to actually be open and listen. So I think I was very lucky that I was young enough to know I didn't know what I was doing. So I didn't have that resistance to, oh, you're supposed to systemize your business. Oh, great. Okay, great. Let's just do that oh, you should do this and that, and okay, great, let's do that. So I, there was a lot of that, listening to what others um, said, following in people's footsteps and actually executing those things. Uh, and so I systemized the business so it worked re- without me. I replaced myself on stage even. I replaced myself wow. in every sales um, conversation. I replaced myself in all areas of the business. And again, having learned from Money and You about leverage and all those things, we integrated all of that into the business very carefully. And um, and so I took six months off while I, while I still had the business and travelled the US and didn't work for six months and the business ran without me. And then I came home and I decided I was either at the point of bringing in investors uh, or I was going to sell it basically and I wasn't mature enough to realize that a smaller piece of a bigger pie with investors would have been better than um, exiting because I'd done all the hard yards, but I decided that I couldn't bear to be with other people who could control me at that at that point, tell me what to do. So That's why I, I sold my business. I'm yeah. like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> See? So in hindsight, I, I'm like, dude, what were you thinking? Oh, my God, you'd already proven, done the hard stuff. But anyway, sold the business successfully after I returned from the U.S. I had a great time in the U.S. for six months, came home and, and sold the business for six figures. So, uh, at, and I was 27 when, when that happened. So mm. uh, it was cool. It was very cool. It was my first foray into business and I went through everything you can possibly go through in that business, growing too quickly, not having enough cash, uh, developing systems from scratch, bringing on people that were you know, my, our team were fairly young like me, uh, so it was a very vibrant kind of environment. It was fun, uh, and it was we worked incredibly hard. <laughs> yeah, so you had a culture of commitment. 
Those yes. people were committed. You were committed, right? It was that you guys were in it to win it. That's great, great, great. And Definitely. when you see people and you're young and you're spunky and there's no reason for it not to work, you figure out a way to make it work, right? Absolutely. That's what I, I love what I'm hearing. And that's because the leader's willing to do that, right? Because we can only follow suit to a leader, yeah. you know? And, you know, we gave uh, that part, uh, part of what I loved about that business was um, we brought on young people who needed roles. So we we took on people through the there was a government program here where you could take on a young person and the government would help subsidize paying for that person to work for you. Um, and we took on young people out of that program, which is a bit of a risk because the kids can be, all, you know, come from all, all backgrounds and have all sorts of issues. But we took on these young kids and we said, look, our promise is that at some point you're going to leave or it's going to be time for you to leave. But our promise is that you'll be better off for having been here than not having been here. And as long as you're willing to play full tilt, we'll give you everything we've got. And they were so awesome. <laughs> they learned so much. They were hungry. They were committed. They were super cute. Uh, and everybody loved program them. program still exist today? Uh, there's some yeah. versions of that um, it's not quite the same, um, but there are, it's How kind rewarding, of because you're mentoring and coaching at that yeah. same time. And the government is, it's like a college education, but it's a true uh, apprenticeship on the job, really yeah. hands on. It's yeah. almost, I don't want to say better, but it's, it's really what happens versus classroom what happens. Yeah. It so was what so a great. beautiful experience. It was really so good. So once you sold... Once you'd made this decision to sell mm -hmm. and you were 27, mm -hmm. did you have this, oh shit moment, like identity crisis or what am I going to do next or? No, <laughs> yeah. no. Cool. <laughs> no, I had a, um, I had the sense of, okay, there's a little bit of freedom. Now, you know, I created something from nothing. I, I've realized in hindsight, I'm very, I'm very good. You know, people often say they have a superpower. I think mine is creating something from nothing. Uh, and whether that's be literally there's nothing there and suddenly you build a business or there's a business that's capped at a certain amount, like a million or five million or 10 million or 50 million, and I'm, I can create the next uh, 10, 20, 50 million. So, um, so yeah, I was ready for what was, whatever was next. And, and, and funnily enough, my very first boss, uh, at that first role that I'd learned tons at, uh, he heard that I'd sold and he got in touch and asked me to come and do a special project for him. And that's when I became a, spent a couple of years of my life and became a published author. I created, I wrote 2,000 pages of marketing and management strategies for SMEs uh, in that project with him. And uh, we launched a product through the accounting sector to teach accountants how to talk to business owners and partner them in a real and proactive way versus being historians. Mm. Uh, and so we built the largest um, independent uh, global network of accountants in the world outside of CA and CPAs. Uh, and that product, that, that knowledge base, that book called Business is Getting Results is still in use around the world today through accounting firms. So I became That's a global fine. brand manager for that. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, and, um, funnily enough, you know, what's funny is that a lot of the material in that with a few tweaks for how we live now, 
is still so incredibly relevant because it was fundamentals of business growth. Uh, mm. So that was an absolute joy to do. Um, but I got to live in the States while I did that and I traveled and had a great time and uh, got to live in San Diego and San, uh, just outside San Jose and then in San Francisco. And I stayed in the States for nearly five years, uh, but firstly doing that role and then, um, and then made the switch uh, to big businesses and became a brand strategist at a, at a large agency and all of a sudden was working with $400 million companies and billion dollar companies. And you know what I realized? They're exactly the same as SMEs, just with more zeros. And more people, and more complacency, and more politics. That's a whole bunch of stuff. Exactly. It's just so like right. a bigger family. It's like you can manage your family in your house, and then you have a family reunion. You're like, oh man. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I loved it. I love the um, again. It, it's it, it's about growth and shifting perceptions, right? So brand strategy. What I was doing was, well, the market says you're. Your business, you are Y, but you say you are X. So how do we get those two things sorted out such that the market will buy more from you and you can add more value to more people? So, so that was a great uh, transition and really that learning curve of going from SME and advisory to big businesses and actually realizing that there was so much they weren't doing that SMEs would do every day that the big businesses weren't doing. They were leaving so much money on the table. It was ridiculous. Uh, so realizing that and also really, really focusing on the power of strategy even more than I had before, the real power of strategy and as it's executed through branding and marketing communications and the sales process and the delivery process and really expanding that knowledge of mine from that SME world, which is sort of anyone under 200 employees through to, you know, now these massive enterprises and as well as some dot-com startups, obviously it was a dot-com boom when I was living there. So that was a crazy time to live in San Francisco. I can't even <laughs> imagine the fun you had. It was so fun. <laughs> it was very fun. And look, we all worked really hard, but, you know, just and you got to play hard, too. Yeah. But, you know, we think about it. And I remember when the when the crash was coming and everyone was getting their pink slips, you know, people were getting, you know, fired. Um, and here were all these people my age would all everyone's driving around in Porsches and Boxsters and you know any kind of luxury car you can imagine just living the high working hard but living very yeah. well uh and then all of a sudden we were having pink slip parties you know we were we were having or we all just got fired parties that didn't happen to me but uh, a lot of my friends who were working in various uh various dot com related businesses or businesses that serviced them um you know, got hit. So it was an incredible time to be there in the boom and incredible time to be there post the boom as well. Um, but I was really, really lucky because my my role took me to New York. It took me to Ohio. Uh, it took wow. me to Florida. So I basically got to live in four different parts of the US that are really like four different countries. They're so different. Uh, All different, completely. Ohio, I'm from Indiana, so they're very similar. I lived in New York. It's nowhere near living in Arizona where I live now, which is right next to California. And California yeah. is nothing like Arizona. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what's beautiful. Is, is the the U.S. of A. is so uh, spacious. 
yes. and diverse. Yes. Mm -hmm. And spacious that you, I mean, whereas in Europe, you know, you can go from Spain to France, uh, you know, you can just hop around here. Yeah. It takes much more hours to cross from New York City to California. Yeah. Many more hours. So, so. I, uh, I drove cross country. I drove across, I've driven across America twice. Once, on, once on my own. <laughs> and I told my parents afterwards because they were like, they would have thought I was going to get murdered or something terrible was going to happen. Uh, but I did that once on my own. Um, uh, which was incredible. And then uh, I did it once with a girlfriend of mine from Australia. She flew over and we drove across country. I moved from San Francisco to New York and I took that as another opportunity to drive across America. And she came and drove with me. Oh, my God, we had so much fun. It was crazy. <laughs> we got lost Isn't once. At one point we got lost in um, – actually, I think we were in Arizona. We got lost and we ended up on a reservation and then we had we got middle of the night. We got we got hosted off the reservation by the local uh, police, which was very nice of them. Uh, we got stuck in New Orleans having too much fun. Uh, you know, we met stuck nice, in New uh, Orleans <laughs> having too much fun. I don't <laughs> even want to fill in the blanks there. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, yeah, in Texas we met. Uh, oh my gosh, Texas was hilarious. So, so you know, I, I've I love America. I've I've watched what happens there with interest uh obviously a lot of our friends and networker in the states so absolutely love it so i was so blessed to live there for nearly five years and to play the roles that i played i eventually became a vice president of organizational development and shifted uh grew that company's profit um, by 300 percent um, in 16 months so you know i had a really great experience in the u.s and then i just got serious about hang on which country am I going to choose? I've got to pick one because my family's all in Australia and here I am over here. And, and so I decided to come home. And you had a good ride. It did. Yeah, it was yeah, awesome. Yeah. Really uh, good ride. Yeah. And it was, you know, it's good. It was good to see there's a, there are cultural differences. We're all quite similar, but there are some cultural differences, particularly into how we relate to work. Um, uh, and, you know, like in Australia, it's mandatory. Everyone gets a month off. Everybody gets a month off every year. Um, it's not like that in the U.S. It's so much harder. Um, so it was very interesting looking at all of those dynamics and how they play out and the difference it makes. So, yeah, so I was so blessed to do that. And then I came home to Australia and I decided to, to finally have the chutzpah to start my uh, nonprofit foundation. I'd had this idea in my head for years and I could just I just didn't have the courage to do it. And I finally... Uh, decided to do it and within 13 weeks we had our first uh, event and we had 400 and f sorry no the first event was 227 kids m non most of them at risk um, and in the it was in the, the poorest neighborhood of the city I live in called Brisbane um, and uh, it was extraordinary uh, what we were doing was having these two days transformational events where we'd bring these very high profile uh, entrepreneurs, Olympians, musicians to speak to them, um, to speak to these teens uh, and give each, put them in groups and have each group have a mentor, a grown up, um, an adult business person. Uh, and really the speakers were there to share their stories and inspire these kids uh, about what was possible in life and in business. Um, and all of our entrepreneurs and, and guests who were speaking on stage had to be self-made or had to have come, over, come, 
come through some major adversity so that any kid in the room who was dealing with the worst of circumstances would have example after example after example of people who'd gone through the same mm. and got out. And, uh, and I can tell you the motivation for creating that uh, if you'd like, but it was an incredible, um, it's called Step Up, and we ran it for 10 years. We ran it for a decade, and, and we grew to three countries. Uh, and we worked with about 19,000 at-risk and underprivileged kids in the process. Yeah, so that's what and I did I next. Would, <laughs> I would love to know how, right, when someone creates something that makes that much of an impact, why would I not, how how did it come about? <laughs> yes, I want to know, right? Uh, well, it, um, ha, sort of how it happened was a couple of things. One was uh, I ran into, when I had that first business, I ran into a teacher from my high school and I went to an all girls Catholic high school, about 600 girls. And, um, uh, she said, Oh, we should, you know, now, now, now I know what you're up to. We should have you come and speak to the senior girls, the girls that were about to graduate. And, um, and so I said, okay, no problem. <laughs> and then as I'm driving, I agreed to it. And eventually we worked out whatever we sorted it out. And so I got invited to go and speak at this, uh, event for the seniors and as I'm driving there I'm thinking what the heck am I doing I'm like five years older than these kids what what are they not going to want to listen to me <laughs> anyway I get there and I, don't, I can't even remember what I said I I you know you when you have those moments where you are um I don't know you, you speak a lot right and I that was probably my it's first ever yeah. uh, that, I'd been speaking on stage for business but I hadn't really spoken personally about my journey and um and anyway I got there and I just having no idea what I was going to talk to them about said whatever I said don't really even remember it but everyone was in tears and clapping and I'm like okay that must have gone well <laughs> I literally I don't remember what I just remember I was very authentic and um but I realized in that moment that uh those that school was still teaching girls typing and shorthand and not teaching them. There was no enterprise program. There was no entrepreneurial or enterprise program, which at that time had become, you know, that was reasonably common. You would see that in, in schools, but in that school that had not been put in. And then I realized in tons of schools, nothing was going on in the entrepreneurial education piece. So I was like, right, I'm going to create a program to inspire teenage girls about being entrepreneurs uh, and just like they did in the 70s and 80s where they, uh, where they really were driving girls into science and engineering and so on, mm -hmm. uh, I was like, what? that should be happening for business. We should be doing that for entrepreneurship. And um, so I got really fired up and, and my partner at the time said, well, are you going to do that business or are you going to do that? And I was like, oh, yeah, good point. I'm already working like 80 hours a week. How the heck am I going to fit this in? So I sort of par I parked it, even though I was very passionate about it from a feminist point of view. I was like, this is outrageous. <laughs> we have to get girls in inspired about business. And then off I went on with my life. And now fast forward, I'm living in San Francisco. And one of the things that's very different about where I come from, in, in Brisbane is a very large geographical footprint. It's like mm -hmm. LA. LA's got a really large yeah. geographical footprint, right? You could I've been be to in Brisbane. 
Yeah, so you can be in one part of Brisbane and you would never see the poor part of Brisbane. You would never... Correct. You're never even going to drive through there. It's just not going to happen. So yep. uh, so that, so when I moved to the States and when I was living in San Francisco, where I lived in San Francisco was... So Pacific Heights was at the top of the hill. Mm-hmm. You see the both bridges and the view and everything. Then you've got um, lower Pacific Heights and then you then you had the projects on one side and the other side that went down to the marina, right? So I lived in Lower Pacific Heights, as did a lot of us, you know, yuppies as we were called down, I guess. Um, uh, and so you had the wealthiest people in the Western world at the top of the hill. You had the, you know, hardworking, wealthy young people in the middle of the hill. Mm-hmm. And then you had the poorest people in the Western world at the bottom of the hill. And to, that was all within one kilometre, not even a mile, Right. And I just could not get over that. Uh, as a, uh, from a disparity point of view, I'd never seen anything like that. And right. I just could not get that the wealthiest people in the Western world were at the top of the hill and the poorest people were at the bottom of the hill. I just, it blew my mind. And then I, I got the opportunity to meet some of the people from projects, uh, from the projects, and I just got that it was inter, it was intergenerational poverty. It was it was systemic, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, obviously, all the race relations and all that came into it as well. But I was really shocked by that disparity. And and we shared a corner store. Which, there was a yuppie one up the hill, or there was this basic one down the hill, <laughs> and down the hill was closer. <laughs> And and it was, so for whatever reason, my girlfriends and I lived in that apartment. We would go down to that the little corner store, which was kind of shared with the people from projects. And what happened? I lived in that apartment for th- nearly three years, and I saw these cute little kids, twelve-year-old boys, that were sweet as they just wanted a can of soda and a bag of chips like any other little twelve-year-old. And then by the time they were fourteen and fifteen, the same cute little kids that I'd seen there two and three years before, were now angry, upset, frustrated young men. And uh, and I was like, dude, I don't know anything about this, but I kind of get it. Like if you've seen your grandfather, your father, and all your cousins and uncles and aunts and family and you uh, stuck in this loop, I'd I'd think there was no way out and get angry about that too. So then I thought, okay, I know what I'll do. I'll create the program to inspire these young, underprivileged, at-risk boys about going into business that's not drug-related because that was the only other business, you know, that was a business example they had in front of them every day, right? Yeah. So I was like, okay, let me give them another pathway into entrepreneurship uh, and and create a program that inspires them about business and we could actually get them set up in a business. Maybe it's selling T-shirts or whatever. uh, And... And let's do that. And so I had this idea and I, ha- I had the name for, for the program when I, I invented the name in my apartment in San Francisco. And then um, I, and I knew my work, the company I worked for at that time, <coughs> the big branding agency, I absolutely knew they would sponsor it. I, I it's right, was right up the founder's alley. Uh, and I remember this night I was going to, um, I was going to the pub. I was walking to the pub from my apartment and it was summer in San Francisco and Mark Twain says uh, summer in San Francisco is the coldest winter you'll ever have, right? Uh, Something like that. And so I was in leather jacket, freezing, 
uh, walked around the corner. As I w- walked around the corner, I passed the church where I thought, well, I could run the program in the church, in the basement of that church. I could run that. Uh, um, wow. And as I turned the corner past the church, I thought I just had this wave of fear come over me. What do I know about being underprivileged and at risk? What do I know about being African-American? What do I know about having relatives and brothers and sisters in gangs? What do I know about fathers and mothers with alcohol dependency and drug dependency? What do I know about intergenerational poverty? I know nothing. What do I know about education? Nothing, nothing. I know nothing about this. What if the gangs don't like it? What if the this don't like it? What if the cops don't like it? What if the blah, 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 blah? I just, my mind just went crazy. And by the time I got to the pub, which was literally a five-minute walk, uh, on um, Divisadero, I'm like, I am so not doing that. And I did not say a word about it. I never communicated it to anyone. I didn't say, I didn't tell my friends. I, I hadn't told my friends about my idea. I didn't, uh, by the time I got to the pub, I completely decided there was absolutely no way I was going to do this. <laughs> mm. Never spoke of it again. Uh, uh, and then years later, I go and do another personal development program called the Landmark Forum, which was fantastic. I decide to move home to Australia and uh, I go on and do more personal development with Landmark, which was also which was great uh, and a perfect yeah. compliment to my money and new stuff. And then I decide, okay, hang on a minute, that's enough now. You've had this idea of making a difference to kids for eight years and you've been too chicken to do it uh, just because you don't have a background in education and you don't have this background in who, what do you know about, blah, blah, blah. Well, Buckminster you Fuller. Didn't have a, think about the it? business in the beginning, your That's very right. first business. That's right. <laughs> See what I happens? Just, as you said, you get older and you think you know more. <laughs> yeah. We should stop listening to ourselves. That's right. Well, <laughs> the thing that kept ringing in my ear was uh, Buckminster Fuller, who we do a lot of study on when you do the Money and You program. Uh, he's a genius and futurist that lived in the 20th century, and he basically he has he 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 just was an incredible human being and uh he said essentially i'm paraphrasing it but he said look if you see a job that needs doing consider it's your job meaning mm-hmm. the reason you can see it needs to be done is because you can see it needs to be done <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and it's something special to you that means that job is for you because everyone else is seeing the same problems but they're not seeing the same solution or the same offer to make a difference to that. So if you see a job that needs doing, it's your job. And I kept hearing, I heard that for eight years. I'm like, shut up already. I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not going to. No. (laughs) Anyway, I finally came home to Australia and I went, right, now or never, and um I decided to do it and within 13 weeks, so eight years and 13 weeks, in 13 weeks I'd, ha- I'd done the, I'd already had the name in my head but I'd registered it, I'd done the logo, I'd done all the legals, I'd done the business plan of course, I'd done the marketing, I had uh, secured a venue, I had a local mayor on board, I raised $204,000 of stuff for the kids, we ended up getting on national television, we got 227 kids there. 96% of which said it was the most empowering experience of their life. And uh, think about and, that. The universe, you were the light for those kids. Yeah. You, you, you were their beacon. Yeah. And, you know, we had one email. So we, I had a group of volunteers. How it started was I invited, I, I'd only just moved back to Australia. So here I, I come back to Australia. I haven't been here for five years. 
uh, other than holiday, I'd come home for a holiday here or there, but I'd come back to Australia and I'm like, okay, everyone, guess what I'm doing now? I'm going to create this non-profit te- for teenage kids. And they're like, what? What are you doing? You lunatic. What do you know about that? I'm like, shut up. I'm doing it. It's taken me eight years to say I'm doing it. And uh, anyway, so I invited a couple of friends over. I wrote a four-page you know, dossier of what it was about. And I invited a couple of people over to my house on a Thursday night. And uh, three people showed up <laughs> for me to tell. Because I said, oh, look, I want you to come because I'm going to talk to you about this special thing I'm doing. And, uh, and so three people showed up. One guy said, uh, I can't participate as a well. I can't help you organize it, but I can get Microsoft to donate a bunch of stuff. I'm like, okay, check. Fantastic. One guy said, it's not for me. And one girl said, I'm in. I'm going to help you. So then every Thursday night from that night on, I had a meeting at my house with people that might want to volunteer and help me organize this thing, this first event, right? Uh, And every week more people came. And so every single week someone who was partnering would bring someone else and so suddenly so on. And before we knew it, I had had about 20 people on the actual organizing team that would meet at my house every Thursday night. But people would come that were new every week, so we had to have a room where someone would give them an introduction to what we were doing because it was people were wanting to help. So in the end, we had um, one exactly 100 people put their hands on that project to make that happen in 13 weeks. Exactly 100. I have the whole 100 names. <laughs> how was, beaut- so was beautiful. So awesome. So yeah, it was, beautiful. It, it was so awesome. It was just fantastic. And the thing that happened, the big thing that happened was Veronica. So the program was a huge success. Everybody, kids got a lot out of it. We had kids there that had been arrested. They were there with police, with juvenile detention officers that were allowed to come to the program for two days. They were the most polite pair in the whole program <laughs> because how we related to those kids was that you, you are our guests. We didn't relate to them as poor kids that needed help. We related to them as our VIP guests and we treated them like that. We gave them beautiful materials. We, ha- we spoke to them like young adults. We said, we don't care about your past. We don't care about what you've done. We don't care about what family you come from. We don't care about your background. All we care about is you and where you want to go in the future. That's all we care about. And you should, mm. this, the, the shift in context, if you ever want to change the way a team's relating to you or you relate, you tell the team who they are for you and they'll shift their context. Always. So yeah. that's what we did with the kids and it literally changed their, their lives. Even that conversation was life-changing. But then they had two days of just fully immersed in, Growing up saying to them, you can do it, you can do it, we believe in you, we believe in you, it doesn't matter what you're dealing with at home, They're up. we are here, people are out here who will help you. And by the way, the only thing that matters is if you determine you want your life to be a different way. And, and it was amazing, but what happened out of that very first program was um, Veronica. So there was this little girl named Veronica who was in the program and we kept, a, obviously being children, we kept a list of who was there in the morning and who was there. We checked where they were all were at every given time, which with the sea of teenagers is quite difficult, but uh, we did that. And um, so there was this little uh, girl, Veronica, who'd come to us at the end of day one and she had said, oh, look, can somebody, can I get a lift home with someone? And we said, oh, okay, well, you know, what's happening? Because uh, we'd organised buses and things for the kids and what's happening? She said, oh, well, I have, um, I've run away from home and I've realized today that I need to go and sort it out with my parents. Oh. Right? And so, and she said, I really only came because I, my girlfriend made me come for the free food. I really came for the free food. But I need, wow. I've now got, I need to um, sort it out with my parents. 
So we gave her a lift home, right? And uh, she sorted out with her parents. And then she came back to, to the next day. And then the second day of the program, she really showed up as a leader in the program. And, uh, and then we got an email from her a couple of days after the program. And she emailed and said, I just want you to know I was planning my suicide. And I can tell you, I will make a promise to you, Real, and to everyone who organized Step Up, that I will never, ever do that now. Uh, based on everything I've learned, I'm, I, have, I can see a future that I couldn't see before. Mm. And so, of course, we all, you know, wept and... <laughs> like I'm we doing? Just, yeah. <laughs> and I'm then, like... You know, we, we just, from that moment, uh, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm in. I'm, I'm all in. I have to do this now. I have to just yeah. keep doing it. And we had letters and emails like that for years and years and years. So Veronica went on to study, uh, to finish high school. She became a leader in her school. She finished high school. She stopped wagging school, which means, um, what do you call it? Skipping. Skipping. <laughs> we call it wagging. She stopped no, skipping said... school. Uh, yeah. She stayed. She became a leader. Uh, she studied. She got into, she became part of the youth suicide prevention group in her community. She uh, went on to do a degree in psychology. And that was Veronica, and that was from the very first event, and we did about 25 of those with anywhere from 300 to uh, 700 kids at each one, and there's about 19,000 kids went through the program. So, so that was the gift of, uh, of, that I, I got and I got to be the founder of, and my husband and I have just been talking about starting it up again, and we'll probably do that in a slightly different form in the next year or two. So we're very, uh, I'm very, I was, it was a real, it was, I was such an honor and a privilege to be the founder of that. Uh, and it's a uh, I just it attended an event where we basically had the ability. It was a charity event, a function here. And my girlfriend and I attended. We were blessed to be the first. This is the first year women were invited, only five. And we were two of the five. So I truly wow. felt blessed. And we did the same. We did a, a, a sponsorship of $15,000. It all goes to the charity, but the same thing. It, it will go to these underprivileged children where we take them on equally as mentors and goodie bags and give them guidance and direction and basically TLC. Mm. We yeah. give them attention. We let them know that they're just as important as we are, and we help them discover their gifts. Right? Yeah. We all have these beautiful gifts. So I am... I, you had not shared that story with me, That not that piece. So, oh, how magnificent, magnificent, no. magnificent. Uh, and I, I hardly ever share about that anymore, obviously, because I, we don't, I'm not running it at the minute. But really what it was about, and it's true for us as adults, it was about um, shifting the future. And we can all do that for ourselves and our businesses. But for, for in that program, it was really about shifting the future from one pathway that was going to be painful and destructive to a pathway of possibility and entrepreneurship or commitment to whatever it is you're interested in. Um, and, uh, and I think it's, we have those moments as adults all the time, right? In our businesses, mm -hmm. we often get stuck and we, we go down a path that's not going to work or we go, we stay on a path that's not satisfying because we don't think something else is possible. Something else is always possible with the right thinking and the right strategy and the right conversations uh, and the right people around you. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I feel so happy hearing that you, because you affected 19,000. You gave people 19,000 kids eyes to see. 
into yeah, their future. That was very cool. That was very cool. And our team was our. It was all a team of volunteers. Um, it was amazing. But you know, I got a gift back. I met my husband through my foundation. He became a sponsor of my foundation in New Zealand, and my my general manager here in Australia, my general manager in New Zealand, kept saying to me, "You got to meet this guy. We've met this guy named Craig. He's fantastic. You're going to really like him." I'm like, "Stop trying to set me up. I'm fine. Thanks." <laughs> anyway, let me find him. Amazing what about, you did. So you answered your calling. Oh, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, you answered your calling, and the universe gave you your gift, like you just said. That's right. And now look really... at your little boy, right? I know. So... We have a, we call him our step up baby. <laughs> our foundation's called Step Up, and we call him our step up baby. There's two of See? them we know of running around. There's him and another friend of mine had a baby with someone she met at Step Up. Oh, uh, what? So there's, there's, there's totally step up babies out there. Oh, <laughs> and now you know some of the kids. I mean, the kids who were who were graduated step up. Some of their parents now they have kids, yes. and I get I yes. get Facebook messages and emails and stuff. And oh my god, it changed my life. It's so great. And and what they're doing now, little entrepreneurs, all of a heap of them. So it's very exciting. Heap. It's funny you said load earlier, and now you said heap. Right, because you're from Australia, so loads, heaps, same thing. Yeah, you said uni, if people know it's college or college, university. Yeah, right. yeah. So same, same old, same old. But I, I, that's what I love is. Uh, yeah. So oh as, yeah. So out of that, I met some. I met some great people, and um, I had been being an account director at a major advertising agency here while that was happening. While I was doing that, what I was doing business-wise was looking after these major brands. And um, uh, and I just decided, you know what, it's time for me to go back into my own business. And so I came up with this idea to create a, um, a, franchi a, a franchise where um, we could go to accountants because I'd had that experience previously, we go to accountants and say, here's everything you need to add a coaching and consulting division. This is back in 2007 when it wasn't so much about coaching back then. Uh, this is what you can, this is everything you need to run a division and generate maybe a million bucks in fee, additional fees, but really add a lot more value to your clients because they desperately need someone like you to lead them through business planning and just all sorts of things that they should be doing that many businesses don't have the opportunity to do. Anyway, so I came up with this idea and I went to three colleagues and said, let's, let's do this thing. So I got the, the first one on board and he said, yes. I said, okay, great. Now we've got to go to these other two. And so the other two, it's so funny because they told me later, oh, we came to that meeting to say no. <laughs> but then we got there and we were like, oh, damn it. That's a good idea. <laughs> we should do that with her. Ah. So then the four of us, myself and three uh, gentlemen, went into business together, and um, within three week, within two weeks, four weeks of planning and two weeks of active, we raised one point eight million dollars uh, and started that business. And I grew that business to sixty five franchisees in two years. Uh, the accountants invested two hundred, an average of two hundred twenty thousand dollars per franchise, and they had to put working capital in of, a, of at least that. Uh, and we were out there making a difference to SMEs all over the country. We had events three nights a week anywhere in Australia or New Zealand. There was always one of our events on uh, mm. with a couple of hundred business owners at each one. And it was an Im incredible fast track experience. Very, very fast growth. Very fast growth. We were the 11th fastest growing company in Australia at the time. 
uh, I was in the top 50 female entrepreneurs in the country uh, and became a what, what's called a Telstra Businesswoman of the Year finalist all during that period. But yeah. the coolest thing about that business, other than we were making a difference to SMEs, was that we all we set up the business such that we donated 10% of our profits to my foundation and $10,000 of every franchise sale to the foundation. So uh, the business was built from the beginning knowing that it was fundamentally built to fund uh, the found. One of the things that was fundamentally there to do was fund the foundation. And so it gave our franchisees a bigger reason for being there. Um, mm. Any of them were committed to changing the face of small businesses is what we were about, but they're also about supporting Step Up and the work we were doing with the future entrepreneurs of, of Australia and New Zealand. And so it was cool. It was a beautiful alignment. Uh, and then I had a big fat learning experience. <laughs> and, uh, and out of that, lost a lot. So we got taken over by a $50 million business out of uh, Sydney, uh, which allowed our franchisees to continue on, which was great. Um, but but uh, lost a lot. So uh, even raised a second $1.8 million and it wasn't enough. Uh, to to salvage things. I went away to, long story as to how it all happened, but I went away to have a baby and came back to a very big pickle. <laughs> it says who the leader was is all I'm going to say. <laughs> and it's shown that today, real over and over and over when you're at the <laughs> helm, whether it be your business or a part of a business, right? Because we don't work for people. We work with a team to accomplish a mission. Yes. When you're at the helm, the company has no direction but to go up. <laughs> yes. So, so. And, you know, it was a big lesson for me because I had made one of my colleagues, I had come up with the idea, but I made one of my colleagues the CEO instead of myself. And mm -hmm. I will never, ever do that again. <laughs> uh, so um, it was a very interesting learning experience. I learned a lot about governance. I learned a lot about... Um, board structures and having independent uh, chairman. Uh, I, you know, learnt a lot the hard way and we lost everything. My husband and I by then had been married. We had a small baby who was five months old. When I went back into the business, he was five months old. We were, um, went, uh, I went broke. Um, he would have been 16 months old or something like that. Mm. And we lost everything, we lost our home. Lost, lost a lot. Uh, managed to hold on to a, an asset in New Zealand and one asset here. You guys see why and... I have her back? You hear how much depth, how much richness, how much, <laughs> how much is there? Like your story is, it, people can relate. Mm. They can relate. Yeah, and they so know that you aren't still there. Therefore, they go, just like you gave that insight to those children, you for adults will do the same because they equally need to know that they don't have to stay where they are. And even if they lost a lot and if they went broke or had to sell everything to survive, that's just the beginning. Yeah, it was a new beginning. And, and you yeah. know, I can say it may, it's, made me, uh, it's made me a much better business person. Because I, I could walk into someone else's business now and I can, I can literally sniff if there's a financial issue. <laughs> I, I'll know exactly. I, I, with just instinctively, I can tell now if there's yeah. some kind of... Um, and look, there were things hidden from my view 
in in that enterprise that went went south. But uh, out of that, I'm now extremely vigilant about what is happening with the financials, which uh, which I had you know I had handed over to others, and that's a mistake. Uh, the entrepreneur should always hold a very and. It's not you like better I wasn't inspect getting, what you expect. It, it, it wasn't like I wasn't getting reports and this sort of stuff. But when we, I had to get bring forensic um, accountants in to find out where the money had gone, and so right. there's there's just certain level of um, uh, just a whole nother level of governance that's required. But but what it has done is definitely made me a better business person. Uh, it's made me um, uh, again, able to add more value to others when I can see that uh, or, sn- or sniff that something's not quite right financially. Uh, mm. And um, I wouldn't wish that experience on my worst enemy. It's a horrible process to go through. Uh, mm. But it, I learnt tons, learnt heaps and heaps and heaps. And the, the minute you ahead. put in there for the word forensics, and yeah. you have to put that into anything that deals with numbers in a business, Guaranteed you can sniff it out in any other business now because <laughs> yeah. intimately you learned it on your own business, right? Yeah. And when once you do that, good luck on any other business getting something past you. You're like, uh-uh, I've seen every angle here, honey. Trust me. I'm like a CIA <laughs> private detective. You have no idea when it comes to numbers and stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, so it, I, I was told, you know, at my la- I went to my last board meeting the day I gave birth. I was at my last board meeting the day I gave birth and uh, we were told the company had 600, you know, we, we knew in the reports that we had 600 grand's worth of debt, which was fine. We were cumulative revenues of 14 million. It's not a big deal. Uh, but actually, uh, when I had to bring, uh, uh, I had to bring an external CEO and forensic accountants in to figure out what had happened, uh, actually there was $2.2 million worth of debt that had been hidden. So, uh, so you know, it's... it's um, Messy. It was messy. It was really messy. It was very painful. And 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 the three partners I was in business with, we were friends. We had known each other for twenty years. We had long established, proven relationships. And um, uh, and yeah, it was painful. Uh, very yeah. painful. And then we had to just confront at a board meeting at the, at one of the final, the last board meeting we ever had. I was like, listen, I don't care whose fault we want to say it is. We're four grown ups that produce this outcome. That's what happened. So now we have to sort out, sort it out, take care of our franchisees and clean this shit up. And so then I spent the next couple of years cleaning that up and it was tough. And uh, But one of my franchisees referred me because I had a great relationship with the franchisees because I was the last director standing um, looking out for them. And uh, one of my franchisees referred me to uh, five dairy farming families. He said, I think they need someone like you. I don't think they're going to be able to pull this off on their own. You need to meet with them. So I went to this little country town. It's a nine-hour commute from my house. By the time you get to the airport, get on a plane, get to the, the next city, drive to the town. Uh, it's a nine-hour turnaround. And I go to this little country town and meet with these farmers, and they want to create this sustainably farmed milk brand. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I'm in. <laughs> I'm happy to play. And uh, so we got equity in the milk and then uh, started working with them to create this brand and get the brand launched and get it in the market, which, you know, a retail product like that, fast-moving consumer good, difficult. You've got to get the big players to take you on, uh, like a Woolworths or here, another brand called Coles. And, um, but I decided to give it a go and worked with them 
And in the end, they said, well, what are you doing commuting back and forth? Why don't you just move here? We'll, we'll give you, you know, come and live in one of the properties. And so we moved to the country uh, and it was so great because my little boy was only two and a half by then. And um, and we had been through the ringer, as you would say here. We'd been through the ringer. Yeah. And uh, when we moved to country Victoria, the house we moved to, the driveway was a kilometre to the house off the road, off this little country <laughs> off this, this little country road. So think nearly a mile, right? Yeah, yeah. And you drive up over this little rise and then down is this little three-bedroom house on this beautiful lake on a 2,000-acre sheep station, sheep and grain oh, station. Oh, my God. And, uh, and it was literally a retreat. Uh-huh. It was literally a retreat, and it was—it's freezing there where we lived. It's absolutely freezing, like winds from Antarctica come through there. It's that cold, and it was unlike anywhere I'd lived. I lived in Ohio, and this was a completely different kettle of fish as well. And um, it was—it was—you know, we had to have the—we had the fire on from Valentine's Day to October, <laughs> twenty-four hours a day. Uh, so it was literally this place where we hunkered down, we retreated. We're in this beautiful. Back to basics, unbelievable environment. A little boy went to this fabulous little daycare place. It was unbelievable. And while we were there, we launched this milk. And uh, I did a deal with a major supermarket chain here, which is equivalent to, say, Woolworths, um, which is called Coles. And I got the milk into 443 stores. Uh, We got about $2.2 million worth of free press uh, at the launches. And um, we did a deal... I did a deal with the milk processing plant, uh, which meant that the farmers owned the milk from the gate to the shelf on the store, which hadn't been done for a hundred years with that uh, any processing plant. So, so that was amazing, and it was really only after I did that I was sitting down with a mentor of mine. I was telling him what happened in terms of what we'd done with the milk, and he's like, "You do you hear yourself? Do you hear what you actually created with these families?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah." He's like, "No, no, stop." Do you really get what you what you accomplished? And what he was trying to point out was that I had been carrying the burden of the pain of that previous business failing after having been such a great journey and it was so beautifully pos- positioned and aligned with my foundation. Um, having having that go south was like losing, you know, I just, I lost, there was a big part of me yeah. I was so proud of what we'd built. It was just, I was very sad about it and... And my husband had kept saying, you've just forgotten who you are. You've just forgotten who you are. You're amazing. You're this, you're that, you're nothing, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and then when I, when I finally launched this milk and my mentor said to me, you know, you don't get it. Like, you've got to stop and look at what you did. What happened in that event was not all you. It was absolutely not you. It was not all of you. It was you, you drove the growth of that business. You were the reason it got to that where it got to. You were not the sole reason why things went south. And, uh, and look at what you can do. This is this is unbelievable what you've done, and it was really only him sort of sitting me down and having that conversation that had me go, oh, oh yeah, maybe it wasn't all my fault. <laughs> because you know when you have a failure like that, the, there is taking responsibility for it, and then we have responsibility very often as adults collapse with fault. So it becomes yes. about, well, it's my fault. It's I'm to blame. Versus uh, no, I can just own that that happened, and what yeah. do I need to do about that. And yeah. so I did own what happened and I had taken a lot of actions to take care of all the people involved. But internally I had said, okay, well, I stuffed that up. That's, that was my fault. And knowing full well there was a bunch of other adults involved, but, but it still felt like my fault, if that makes sense. Yes. And it was really yes. only as I came out of that uh, and having, having achieved that with the milk uh, and despite lots of difficult circumstances with that, uh, 
uh, having achieved that, and then my mentor saying to me, uh, "Hello, <laughs> did I still just start to come back, come back uh, to the light?" I guess you'd say. Uh, and really, that was the beginning of my husband and I coming back out of, uh, you know, back into the light. I'd say, and yeah. back into remembering who we were and what we we're about, which has always been about adding value and contributing to others. That's just fundamentally who we are. So. So yeah, it was a, it was an incredible experience to launch that milk. The milk's still sold in in stores today. Uh, Hot called, diggity dog! It's, it's called Green Pastures. It's beautiful. It's sustainably farmed. It's a much healthier milk to drink than milk that's chemically farmed. Uh, so um, yeah, it was cool. It was very cool. And we only just sold out our equity a year a year and a half ago. So uh, yeah, that was an incredible experience. And then uh, uh, honestly, we had a couple. I think three years down there, which was fabulous. And then. Uh, I got headhunted by an old client who I had done their strategy with him when he was about $5 million in turnover and I'd created a strategy to get him to $65 million in 10 years. He got to $65 million in eight and he rang me and said, oh my God, we just did it. <laughs> and then, by the way, can you come and be my CEO? <laughs> so, uh, so then he kept calling me and eventually I said, listen, put your money where your mouth is or stop calling me. <laughs> so... Uh, so then he said, okay, great. Come and be my, can you please, please, please come and be the CEO. So I basically got headhunted to come back to Brisbane, uh, and be the CEO of a hundred million dollar construction company. So I came back and did that. Uh, and it was a fantastic experience. 200 people, six divisions, six, well, actually eight, but, uh, six main ones. And, and really just, uh, went to town on that, which was great. Um, he's like, wait, 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 you helped me build this, this big, but I know it's what I wanted, but. Now I don't know what to do with it. Can you help me? That's what he did. That's right. It had, it had gotten a bit. It had gotten a bit big. So, He's like, uh, mm, yeah. I'm grateful I did it, but mom, help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it was good. It was good. It was. A, it was an interesting time. There was a lot of turbulence in that business. There was a lot to sort out. Uh, and uh, in the end, that that beautiful founder client had had a little trouble handing over the rein so uh about 18 months in i'm like okay this is we, we came to a mutual uh, agreement that it wasn't ever going to work if he couldn't step back so um and so off i went uh, but, and and at that point i had to decide if i was going to go down the ceo route because i was being mentored i had i had luckily i had been lucky enough to have mentorship conversations with the ceo of coca-cola um and she was saying, "No, with your background, you need to stay. You know, stay the CEO path. You'll get a. You'll be. You'll be. You know, everyone will want you because of your entrepreneurial background. In fact, you're a woman, and blah 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 blah. Um, but I had just come out of this role, and my little boy. Uh, I was traveling all the time in that CEO role, uh, and I just just had to decide if I was going to go the big corporate route or go back to my roots, which was having my own business and, and in the small to medium-sized enterprise market. And my husband had, we had, oh, I've missed a whole piece, but we had this amazing opportunity. As I came out of the, back into the light, we had this amazing opportunity to co-partner with a guy who um, wanted to take a bunch of entrepreneurs to Antarctica for a think tank. And he approached oh. us to, yeah, he approached us to help him fill the boat and put people in it because he knew that I was pretty connected. We were pretty connected. And, um, and so we said yes. And so we partnered him to, and we got 106 people on a ship in Antarctica for a think tank on entrepreneurship, innovation, and sustainability. 
And it was cool. And one of the people that I got on that ship to be a speaker was Dame Doria Cordova, who was oh, the woman who had yeah, yeah. the woman who had owned the rights to Money in You. All that when I first met her back in my twenties, and she'd owned the rights. She still owns the rights to Money in You to this day. And uh, I had her. I wanted her to come on the ship um, because she is partners with a a billionaire in China who's built the first solar city. So I wanted her to come and talk about um, renewables and and all of that. And uh, so anyway, got her on the ship. And (laughs) so we had two weeks in Antarctica and Chile. And by the way, I didn't. We didn't pay the mortgage that month so we could get on that ship. (laughs) That's our. That's how we were still recovering from having gone broke. So every dollar mattered. And we were like, well, it's either pay the mortgage or pay for the the flight tickets. Okay, we're paying for the flight tickets. (laughs) Because I just knew that there was going to be something that would come out of that journey, given we were co-leading it and there were 106 of us there, that something Mm -hmm. amazing would come out of that with a bunch of entrepreneurs in a crazy place like that. Absolutely. There's no way knowing something fantastic wasn't going to come out of it. So I'm like, I will bet the house on it. I have no issue betting the house on this. So I didn't pay the mortgage that month so I could get to Chile and Antarctica. (laughs) Uh, And and it was an unbelievable experience. We're talking about, we're, we're planning now the, a trip to because when we went we were like well this is a once in a lifetime then we got there and went oh my god it's so amazing we have to bring the kids so now we're going back Uh, because it is such an unbelievable environment it is unbelievable but um the trip itself the the ship the experience that was amazing i ended up co-leading co-facilitating the program um and out of it came uh we came home from Antarctica and Chile with the rights to money in you for Australia and New Zealand which was completely not on the cards completely unexpected uh and uh there's this concept that we talk about at money in you called procession and it was absolutely procession where you are going after a goal this way but at right angles something else comes in that's actually what you're supposed to be doing I'm not really explaining it properly but that's kind of the view that your real purpose comes in on the side yeah, uh, and that's what happened. Uh, realistically, seemingly inadvertently, but realistically, processionally, that is exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And so um, we had taken on those rights, and we'd run some test pilot programs, and then I became the CEO. So my husband kept running that project to see if the market still liked the product called the three and a half day program. And turns out they did, um, but uh, we sort of had come to the place where we had to commit fully or stop mucking around because we were just testing it really. And so my pathway was keep going CEO or join with my husband and, and, and really drive this business that I had we had originally going to do together and I'd stepped out, step back in and, and go for it. And so we, I decided to do that and then we've grown that business. We got serious in 2017. Uh, we, um, by the end of 2019, we were you know, already back in the um, seven-figure realms and so on. And then obviously COVID struck. (laughs) So you can't run live experiential programs during COVID. But guess what? We just had our first one three weeks ago. Ta-da! 70 people in the room got their lives out of it. And your first one and you had 70? Yeah, first one uh, since November 2019. That's so. even my point, though. And you had <laughs> 70. That's a lot. Yeah, it was cool. It was wow. really cool. So, yeah, we've got two more coming up in May. 
one in August and three more in uh, two more in September and, and our global event at the end of the year. So, so we're back. That business is back. We had a year off, um, but we managed to even, <laughs> I don't know how we just did what everyone did. We shifted and uh, we managed to keep going, even though the business was shut. We did about half of our normal revenue, uh, but uh, that's still pretty amazing. Still six, still six figures. Yeah, with figures. no travel. Still, I'm still trying to seven, say with, actually still seven figures. So with no uh, travel or anything inside of it at that point. So no travel actually, and no events, no live yeah. events allowed. Nothing. So, um, so yeah, we managed to soldier on and and be strategic. Uh, it's it's actually it's actually forced us to handle some things that we had strategically decided to do in September 2019. I'd done a strategic planning session on ourselves with our team and we decided to do a bunch of stuff and now we're doing it. So it's uh, it forced our hand in a couple of ways, but it's been great. Terrible that we had to shut down for a year, but fantastic that we've made the shifts now and we're back and moving again. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and then I've continued on with my private work where I just work with a handful of people that I love and businesses that I love and I'll be the interim CEO or work with them on their strategy, whatever they need. And here we are. That's it. That's it. Now you've heard everything. Oh, my God. You probably never want to hear another word from me. Oh, I do. Yes. <laughs> are you kidding? I, I'm going, okay, what are we going to do together, right? How do we play together? Because yeah. I like playing with you. I like making things go up, and you like making things go up. Maybe we should play with Elon Musk. Yeah. He likes making things go up. That's right. <laughs> so, um, so I don't think I've shared all of that in that way probably ever or certainly for a very long time. So I well, hope it was of value or, or some inspiration for someone out there. I am confident it was of value because that is the, the true ride of an entrepreneur. Yeah. Really, that's the true ride there. And all most people see is the outside. And yeah. you opened the space today to talk about the outside, but you easily opened and were vulnerable and said, this is equally how it affected me on the inside, yeah. right? And and to take accountability as you did in that space when yeah. you had three other partners to be the last director standing, I would play with you all day. <laughs> Thank you. I would... I, I would partner with you all day long because you've got the right values that you're built with and therefore I know with that there's nothing we can't do because now we just build the team around us right that we're serving the same mission and when you when you're on a team like be it Super Bowl or soccer as long as you hold your position you win major league soccer or you win you know what I mean or you win NFL you win Super Bowl or so once you get to that level of value sets, you'll figure out a way to play with one another. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, I'd love to. And look, yeah. we, we, that's the other thing that, that uh, came out of the whole process of um, going, having what happened happen. And then uh, I continued, I did the milk when, and had equity in the milk. Um, and then I went, you know what? I'm not going to do private work anymore unless there's equity on the table because I make such a big difference. I'm Fees yeah. and equity is the way I'm going to partner with people. And so what happened was we, we have, uh, in, the, in the midst of all that too, we have created two tech companies where we uh, uh, own a major shareholding in. Uh, one of them is a global, is a platform that's going to go global. The other is uh, doing. They're already in our first, uh, second year doing two million bucks. 
So, you know, I'm very clear on how to make stuff grow. <laughs> so whatever we it. do together and whatever we do for others, it's really about if you want growth, you can have it. So <laughs> I, I can't wait to be on Clubhouse with you. I promise your well of wisdom, marriage with my well of wisdom, along with the other panelists, the opportunities are abound there. Yeah, I can't wait. That's going to be so fun. Yeah. And to be of service, just to give back our knowledge. Yeah. Again, the same way that we gave the, the, you gave those kiddos eyes to see into their future, that you gave them some insight that woke them up enough that reminded their soul. Yeah. That's, that's what Clubhouse is, is we get to share some of that insight that, as you did with that business, takes one from two or three million to 65 million, and then they call mom again for help to go, hello, <laughs> hello. <laughs> yeah. So This has been another episode of the Game Changing Podcast with your host, Anissa Acker. If today's episode has you stirred up with a fire in your belly, take action by subscribing and sharing this episode with a friend. And in the words of Rhonda Byrne, when we open our minds to the unlimited creative power, we call forth abundance and see and experience a whole new world. Go change the game.